Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel, I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. 
So we are still thinking about this idea of growing and becoming more the people that Christ calls us to be, becoming uh, more aligned with the way of Jesus Christ over this year. And if I uh, said to you, uh, what is this story in Acts chapter 9 about? I would be willing to guess that 99% of you would say this is Paul's, uh, Saul's conversion story. Now, let me take you back into the Bible for a couple minutes here because we need to be asking the question, what is really meant by conversion. What, what are we meaning when we say this is Paul's conversion experience? Because I think too often we misunderstand what's actually going on here in the scriptures. If you went to uh, your pew Bible and you went to uh, Acts chapter 9, page 893, for uh, the few of you who are actually you know, willing to open the Bible, there's a heading, and it says the conversion of Paul. Now, here's the thing, people of God. When, when, when Acts was written by Luke, we presume, it didn't have headings. It didn't have chapter and verse. It wasn't written that way. These things like headings come in much, much later. They come in after books are being published. I, I mean, that's... that's more than a thousand years later. So the fact that it's telling us this is the conversion of Paul was not what, 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 what Luke would have been saying back in that day. Luke would not have been using that word. How do I know this? Well, the word conversion actually is Latin in origin and comes from the French. It's not in in Hebrew, it's not in Greek, which are the languages of the Bible. So first of all, we know that the word conversion really comes into Christian usage around the 14th century. If that is true, then, that, then Luke is meaning something that we need to figure out. What was he meaning? And in fact, in uh, the, the Greek, in the New Testament, there are three different words that kind of relate to this idea of conversion. One means sort of physical turning, right? I turn back physically. One means a sort of emotional turning. My emotions become that of regret or sorrow or shame for what I've done. And so I'm turning away from that. The one that is used the most and that we're most familiar with is that Greek word metanoia, which really means sort of the turning of my whole self back to God or turning of my whole self closer to God. And yet, first of all, metanoia is only used 22 times in the New Testament altogether, 22 times. And it's not used here in chapter 9. None of these words about turning to God, this idea of conversion, shows up in chapter 9 of Acts. So let's dig down a little deeper then into what in the world is going on here and what 
and how maybe we should be thinking about conversion. So as you see in the story, we get uh, Saul, who is an important Jewish man. He is a Pharisee, he has a lot of power, and this Saul has been killing those who follow Jesus. Now understand, uh, this is uh, his sense of what God is asking of him. He is a believer in the law. He is a guy who is fiercely defending the God he knows. When you realize that, you begin to see that Saul shows up throughout our human history. Saul shows up in the Crusades. We're going to kill people in the name of Jesus. Saul shows up in the 19th century when we get this idea of kill the Indian and save the man, that they believed that even if uh, sending kids to a boarding school might end up killing them, at least their souls would be saved. And that was better than allowing them to remain as a Native American speaking and doing what Native Americans do. Right? There is this idea that human beings get that somehow we have to defend and protect God at all costs. And in fact, I think we saw some of this same soul behavior during the disaffiliation season when other churches were trying to, other churches, those who are disaffiliating were trying to destroy United Methodism by making claims that we don't believe in the Bible, making claims that we aren't Trinitarian, making claims about how bad we are in the name of God. And the problem here is that there's this very destructive bent that comes with human beings, and especially human beings who want to follow God and protect God's way. So what happens to Paul on this Damascus road? Off he's going with, you know, official sanction to go and capture more followers of the way and to uh, put them in chains and to take them back to Jerusalem, presumably uh, to either imprison them or to kill them. I mean, it's not a good scenario. And on that road, Jesus comes to him in what I would refer to as a spiritual experience. He doesn't see Jesus. He hears uh, the voice and he sees a light. And the the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, this is interesting. He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my followers, who actually Paul is persecuting. No, he says, you're persecuting me, which is a way of saying, why are you using God's name in this way? Why are you doing these things to people that I, God, have created and loved? And so at this point, Paul now is blind. He has to be taken into Damascus by the people he's traveling with. Ananias is sent to lay on hands and poof, uh, scales fall from Paul's eyes. And now he can see. And what does he see? He sees who he has been, and he sees who Jesus is. 
You see, if we're talking about conversion, what we're actually talking about here is Paul coming to see himself and to see his God in a way he couldn't see before. Now, sometimes when we think of conversion, we're thinking of conversion to the Christian faith. But did you know in Acts 9 there is no Christian religion yet? There is a group of Jewish believers who believe this is the Messiah. They still are holding to the Jewish law. They are still holding to circumcision. They are still following the dietary restrictions. None of that is gone yet. It is not yet a new religion. And in fact, if you're reading Acts, it's still called the way. They haven't yet been called Christians. In other words, Paul is be beginning to see in a deeper way who God is and what God really wants for his life. And there is no sense in human life of immediate transformation from who we've been and who we are now becoming. I want you to think about this. This is part of why New Year's resolutions fail. Because we think, if I on January 1 say, I'm not eating ice cream anymore, that in that moment it's going to happen. And we all know it doesn't. You, and if, that's gonna, if you really want to stop eating ice cream, it's going to take a lot of work. And sometimes you're going to eat some. That's why 12-step programs understand that you can't just say, I'm done being an addict. You've got to work it. You've got to change your thinking over time. You've got to take steps that will change the way you behave. You can't get there just by saying, woohoo, now I, I want to do something different. And believe it or not, Paul is not yet transformed. Paul has started on a journey where now he sees Jesus for who he is. And he can see the bad things he has been doing. And he is willing to live in a different way. But listen, start following out the book of Acts. This is chapter 9, this happens. Chapter 13, I think, is the first time he's called Paul. Up till that point, he's still Saul. The transformation is just like taking a while to grind into his being. And in chapter 13, he encounters a magician, Bar-Jesus. And you know what? He acts a lot like Saul. Because what does he do? He condemns him. He, he asks that the wrath of God rain down on this guy. Like it's angry and destructive behavior. I want this guy to die. Then in chapter 19, if you're following along, Paul is out there and he's trying to preach and, and introduce Jesus to some people and they push back and they don't want to hear it. Well, now Paul, instead of raining down the wrath of God on them, decides just to take his disciples and leave. You all know that as a behavioral change. When you are used to arguing with someone and, and, and pushing back, when you can just finally say, I'm not going to argue with you, I'm just going to step away. Something is growing in Paul. 
And if you continue to follow Paul along this road of faith, you're going to find out that he begins to pray for those who he has struggles with. He's going to break bread with people and share bread with people. He's going to begin to act in a very, very different way. But it doesn't happen immediately. It's over the course of his journey. You see, Paul is learning how to live into what he has seen and what he has been shown. So much so that Paul, of course, will go from killing people to laying down his own life on behalf of others. Now, there's one more part of this story that I know y'all have probably never thought about, and that there's this guy, Ananias. I want you to think about Ananias because he clearly is a believer. He's following the way. He's listening to Jesus. But we don't know who he was before this moment. Was he a good Jew? Did he not like uh, Jesus' followers? Had he done bad things? We don't know anything about him. But we know at this point he believes in Jesus. And he gets this vision. And Jesus says, hey, I need you to go into Damascus and lay hands on Saul. And what does he say? Saul, no way, I've heard about that guy. He is a bad dude, and he's doing bad things to your followers, Jesus. I know who he is. I'm not doing that. But there is something about Ananias that is willing to say, I'll go. And believe it or not, I think Ananias, just like Paul, Saul, comes to see something new because he's got these judgments about people. Oh, we can't, I don't want to go to this guy. This guy's a bad guy. But his faith in Jesus makes him go. Lay on hands and change Saul's life. He himself, Ananias, grows as a result now of, again, listening to Jesus. He conforms his life more to Jesus. He lets go of some of those assumptions about who's worthy of God. You see what's happening here. Not only are they both growing, but Jesus uses someone a little farther along the road to change Saul's vision. People of God, this is about our journey of seeing and coming to know Jesus, not only with our mouths and our, our intellect, but with our experience and our behavior that conforms more and more along our lifetime to the living God we know in Jesus Christ. So oftentimes, God needs to show us something new about ourselves, show us something new about other people if we are going to grow and become the more loving and caring and life-giving people that Jesus asks us to be. And I think in this year, if you and I honestly ask God, say to Jesus Christ, I want to see more. 
Show me where I need to grow. Show me how I need to be stretched. Show me what I need to do for your sake in this world, oh God. I believe that Jesus will show us and lead us. And so on this day we begin by asking Jesus to show us and to send us. Pray with me. Most holy God, we believe that you are a God of the journey that leads us to see more deeply and more carefully who you are, what you ask us to be, how we need to change and grow. And in this year, O oh God, we believe that you will show each of us, that you will work deep within us and say, look and see, look and see how you need to grow, look and see how you need to change, look and see what you need to be on behalf of others in a suffering world. And so we open ourselves now to you, O oh God, and say, we believe that you will show us how to grow. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.